Let's turn again to Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 3, page 1181, and we'll read the whole of that third chapter, finishing with the first verse of the fourth chapter. So Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and uh, you will see in this text the connection with um, the, the hymn we've just sung. So Philippians 3, from the beginning. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many 
of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Look back with me at verses 13, 14, 15 this evening. And I'll just read verse 15, first of all, for the wider context. Paul says, let those who are mature think this way. If you would be a mature Christian, if you want to be a grown-up Christian, then, says the Apostle Paul, think as I do and as I explain. And then look back to verses 13 and 14, where we are going to be particularly this evening. But one thing I do, halfway through verse 15, but one thing I do, verse 13, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What we have here is a close-up of the inner workings of the mind and the attitude of a man who is a model believer for us, a mature Christian. And last week we saw how this works out in terms of the destination that Paul has in view. You remember that Paul has in view this destination. He's going to glory. He's going to be with Christ. And that is where his eyes are set. His lowly body will be transformed to be like Christ's glorious body. He will be forever with the Lord Jesus, a citizen of heaven, an heir to eternal life. Now, why did we begin with the destination? Why did we begin with the end, as it were? Well, for a very, very obvious reason. If you don't know what your destination is, you don't know which way to go. If you don't know where you're going to end up, you don't know in which direction you're going to face. If you want to drive to an unknown city, a little-known address, and you only know the postcode, and you don't know what it looks like or how to get there, you might type it into your sat-nav or your Google Maps, and it will take you along the right roads, and you will get to your destination. You need to go in the right direction to be arriving at the correct destination. That's true to life, isn't it? You want to go somewhere, you need to know how to get there. Now, the Apostle Paul knew nothing 
about cars and satellites and sat-navs and Google Maps. But he did know a fair bit about athletics. He knew a lot about long-distance running, about athletes running in a stadium. Now, if the predominant sport in our own culture is the game of football, then in Paul's day, the predominant sport was athletic pursuit, running. And we know that here and in 1 Corinthians 9 and in Galatians 5 and 2 Timothy 4, the image of running a race features very clearly in Paul's letters. It's a picture that Paul often comes back to, a powerful, memorable picture. The athlete running and striving and sweating and agonizing and reaching out as he goes round and round or up and down that track to reach the finishing line. How did Paul run the race of the Christian life? And how should you and I run the race of the Christian life? Just notice these words in verse 13 for a moment. One thing I do. One thing I do. There is in Paul's mind a clear, simple, united resolve and commitment. I am running the race of the Christian life. I can see the lane I'm running down. I can see the way the track and the course leads. I'm dedicated to running it. I'm an athlete under starter's orders. I'm running this race now to run it well and to finish it well. Now, I want us to think tonight about running this race. This is the mindset of a mature Christian. And I want to think about it in terms of three directions that Paul refers to here in verses 13 and 14. He talks about backwards, he talks about forwards, and then he talks about upwards. And let's see how Paul thinks about backwards and forwards and upwards as he runs this race of the Christian life. First of all then, backwards. What do we say about backwards? And Paul's answer is, forget it. Backwards? Forget it. Verse 13. Forgetting what lies behind. Don't look back. Don't look back. A runner, I understand, should not, as he is running, be looking behind him, at least not too often. He'll lose his concentration. He'll lose his momentum. He might even lose his balance and fall over. I can well remember a school sports day at the school where I was a teacher for a number of years, and a colleague of mine, a good man, but a man given to all sorts of accidents and mishaps, And he was uh, running in what was, I think, the final event of the sports day. It was the staff 4 by 100 meters relay. And he happened to be drawn on the fourth and final leg of that 4 by 100 meters race. So he was running down the home straight, baton in hand. 
And he was 30, 40 metres ahead of the rest of the field. And he was about to cross the finishing line and he was, he was pumped up. And so he turned round and he went like that to those who were behind him. And he turned back round again to finish the race and he lost his balance and he tripped over and he dropped his baton on the inside of the track, was disqualified and all the other runners went past him and uh, he was a bit of a hero to uh, about 1,500 people. A hero of the wrong kind, shall we say, thereafter in Gateshead International Athletic Stadium, if you please. Uh, and that was, that was actually shot by uh, one or two people with videos. It was shown on the school prize-giving day again and again and again to howls of laughter all around. Don't look back. Don't look back. Remember Lot's wife who turned round and looked back and became a pillar of salt And Paul has learned not to look back. Forgetting what lies behind. What would Paul have seen when he looked behind? Paul tells us in this chapter. And Paul is telling us that he must and does forget everything to do with himself before he came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Look at verses 3 and 4, and indeed 5 and 6. And there Paul uses this expression, confidence in the flesh. Verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Ah, says Paul, if I were to talk about confidence in my flesh, confidence in what I was as a man, in what I have been from my birth and in my childhood and youth, And young adulthood, if I were to put confidence in that, I'd beat the lot of you, he says. Oh, there's so much about myself that I could boast about. I mean, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. That is a noble tribe. They weren't part of the northern ten tribes that were separated off, taken to Assyria. No, they stayed there with the tribe of Judah. That is a great and noble tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, he says. My ancestry my circumcision, and then not only these things that might be common to many Israelites, but my, my learning, my scholarship, my privileges, and you should have seen my zeal and my desire to serve God and the efforts I went to. You should have seen my level of personal righteousness. Oh, people knew me when I was Saul of Tarsus, as I used to be known, and they looked at me and they whistled and they uh, marveled as I walked past. There goes Saul. What a man. What accomplishments. What he's achieved. What What an impressive person I was, he says. But there came a day When all that became, oh yes, he uses the word, when all that became dung. Yes, that's it. Gone. Rubbish. Flushed down into the sewer. 
Forget it. My righteousness, my zeal, my efforts, what's that? Nothing and less than nothing. Filthy rags, refuse, rubbish, all gone, never to be revisited. What did any of that matter? I forget what lies behind. And we must have the same view of ourselves. What lies behind? What were we before we came to know Christ? What are we like in ourselves? Is there anything in us that we can boast in? What I used to be before I knew Christ? What did I achieve? My qualifications, my accomplishments, my reputation, my efforts, my level of personal morality, my knowledge. They're nothing. I forget about them. They don't count for anything. I must have that view of them. I must leave them behind. But then there's another application, it seems to me. Paul doesn't either look back on his recent past either, on his supposed successes while he is running the Christian race. Now, what do I mean by this? You and I must not look back over our shoulders at what we have just done or not done and, as it were, judge ourselves in that way, whether through our successes or our failures. We must not look back and make looking back to define the way that we are going. Let me change the sporting metaphor for a moment, to the noblest game that ever man played. I speak of the game of cricket, as many of you will immediately recognize. I'm quite certain that had cricket been around in the days of the New Testament, the New Testament would have been bursting with allusions to the game. There's no question about that. One of Yorkshire and England's finest batsmen was Herbert Sutcliffe whose career spanned the years between the two world wars. Over 50,000 runs for Yorkshire and England, 151 centuries, averaged over 60 for England. Very few men have done that. But what made him so successful was not his natural ability, but his temperament, his mental attitude. He just played one ball at a time. And if he faced an over from a great bowler, Harold Larwood, Morris Tate, Bill O'Reilly, whoever it might be. He might play a miss and the ball go past the outside edge to the wicketkeeper. Five times in the over, he would play, he would miss. Didn't worry him. Sixth ball would come, I hit it for four. He just played each ball at a time. Forget the last ball, I'm still in. The next ball's coming, I'll play each ball as it comes. Forgetting what's come before. You and I need to do that. How did yesterday go for you as a Christian? Did it go well? Are you pleased with yourself? Are you feeling a bit proud? You went through the day and you really did well as a Christian. And you're beginning to feel a bit smug. Forget it. <laughs> it doesn't count for anything, ultimately, 
did things go pear-shaped yesterday? Well, let's be serious about that. Did you, did you do something you shouldn't have done? Did you sin in a way that you regret bitterly? What do you do about it? You go to the Lord. You bring your sin. You repent of your sin. You confess your sin. That's part of getting up and turning around and running forwards again. Don't look back. Don't look back. Don't be paralyzed by the past. Whether past successes or past failures, do not look back. So let's leave backwards and let's go to forwards. Forwards. Keep going. Keep going. What is the one thing that Paul does? He says here in verse 13, forgetting what lies behind and then straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. It's the only place in the whole Bible where the word goal appears, in the ESV at any rate. Uh, There we are. There's one goal in the Bible. All right? But I don't think it's a goal with a net, with a football heading into it, with a goalkeeper trying to dive to save it. This word goal really means a finishing post, uh, a line, if you like, but a marker that shows where the race ends. And the picture we must see in our minds is one of an athlete who is striving. He's running. He's stretching. And it's painful. He's dedicated. It's agonizing. William Hendrickson describes it in these words. The runner straining every nerve and muscle as he keeps on running with all his might towards the goal, his hands stretched out as if to grasp it. You've all watched Olympic Games, athletics competitions, whether live or on the television, and you've seen these athletes maybe in a a long race. They've got three or four laps to go in the 5,000, the 10,000 meters. Mo Farah and others like him, they're running, they're concentrating. You can see the sweat, you can see the pain, but you can see the intense concentration. They know how many laps they've got to go. Their eyes are on the prize. That's the picture we should have in our mind. Paul himself describes it in his own wonderful words in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 onwards. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we are imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box like one beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Now let's try and see Paul as this Christian athlete. Let's see ourselves Let's put our Olympic strip on and let's get into this race. 
We are serious competitors, brothers and sisters. We have the Christian Olympic rings on our running kits. We, like the apostle, are running this race purposefully, mindfully, intentionally, with the aim of winning the prize. You and I need self-discipline and determination to run this race. Now, this is a good point where we are bound to ask a question. Why? Why does Paul run in this way? Why go to such bother? Does it have to be like this? Do we have to run the way that Paul describes? And isn't there a question that underlies this in our minds? If we're Christians, saved by grace, aren't we all going to be okay anyway? I mean, aren't we going to finish the race anyway? We're saved, aren't we? Christ has died for us, risen for us. We're saved by grace through faith. Why do we need to live the Christian life like this Olympic marathon runner? Why break sweat? Can't we just amble round the track and stroll across the line when we feel so inclined? I remember those old sports days when I was a teacher. I used to chuckle when I watched the year 12 girls 1,500 meters. <laughs> this is a terrible thing to say, isn't it? But I, most of those girls really didn't want to run that race. They had to be persuaded into running 1,500 meters, three and three-quarter laps of this track, and they were just sort of, you know, just you know, take it easy and take about half an hour to get round, you know, and uh, chat along the way. And uh, Not all of them, but a lot of them did. You know, they didn't really want to run that race. I'm sure some boys are like that as well. But is that the way we should do it, you know? Do we need to run? I don't really like this track. It's a bit hot. It's a bit sweaty. It's a bit hard on the, my, my feet and my ankles and my shins. There's a nice Starbucks across the road. Shall we go there instead, you know? Forget the race. Do we need to run? Didn't we say last week that it's all about destination? We'll get to the destination, won't we? We'll get to the line somehow, anyhow. When we get there, we'll be with Jesus, and it'll all be wonderful after that. The best is yet to come. But why should we go to pains to get there? Why not make it a leisurely stroll instead of a hard-fought race? Well, there's an answer to that question. For Paul, for the Apostle Paul, the one he calls Christ Jesus is not merely a figure waiting for him in the distance, at the finishing line, a long way off. No, this Jesus is his running companion, his pacemaker, his mentor, his model, his inspiration, his motivation, his very source of energy and desire to run through the duration of that race. 
Paul does not want to run and cannot run without Jesus Christ running with him and in him. He has to have the Lord Jesus to be his very source of power and energy as he runs. I remember going back a good few years, again up in the northeast, there would be every September the Great North Run, which I never entered. Uh, maybe I should have done. I'm not sure it would have done me much good. Maybe my opportunities are dwindling to run in such an event, half marathon. But I did go along to the uh, evening before the Great North Run when there would be uh, uh, a massive eating of pasta. I didn't mind eating the pasta. It was meant to give you energy to run. I would have the pasta without running the next day. And, and there in this big tent with all the pasta was somebody called Mr. Motivator. You ever heard of Mr. Motivator? And he was this guy, and I think he wore green or something like that, and he would, he would wear lycra, and he would sort of dance and do all these things and get us all moving and motivated and that, so that everybody the next day could run this race with Mr. Motivator and the pastor helping them to run. But Mr. Motivator didn't run the race himself. No, he just told them how to run. And he might be there at the end saying, oh, well done, you've done it. Jesus is more than Mr. Motivator. He is the very source of our strength. He's the one who gives us the energy to run. He's the one without whom we cannot run. He's the one without whom we cannot get to that finishing line. Let's really get to the heart of Paul's attitude here. It's possible, you see, in thinking about running and racing to to take our eyes off what the Christian life is really about. How does Paul live the Christian life? What is Paul's all-encompassing desire? Well, doesn't it burst out at us from this whole chapter that what Paul is motivated by is knowing Jesus Christ? I think the central verse of this whole chapter really is verse 10, where Paul says, that I may know him. I run, I can run, I do run, I will run, I will finish the race because I know him. Look at other verses that we see here in this chapter. He says in verse 3, Paul, that he glories in Christ Jesus. He boasts in Christ Jesus. In verse 8, he says that there is nothing that compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I run, I live, I get to the end of my life, and I cross the line because I know him. His great desire, he says in verse 9, is that I may gain Christ to grow and develop faith in Christ. It's all about knowing him, knowing him who runs with me and in me, my friend, my companion, my energy, my motivation, my source of ability to run and to live the Christian life all comes from Jesus Christ. 
He's not just some distant figure on the finishing line who I'll one day see at the end, and until then I've just got to slog round and maybe take a bit of a detour and do what I feel like doing. No, I run, I live, because I know Jesus. That's why Paul runs the way he does. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Paul, Paul, why do you run the way you do? Why do you live the way you do? Why are you such an ardent disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, he tells us here at the end of verse 12, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's come to me. I wasn't looking for him. I didn't choose him. But he came to me. He chose me. I was going backwards, says Paul. Do you know what he says? I was going from Jerusalem to Damascus. I was running the race backwards. I was running away from the finishing line. I was running away from Jesus Christ. I was going all the way back into, into Judaism of the most, of the most Christ-persecuting, Christ-hating kind. I was going deeper, darker into danger. When Jesus Christ, who loved me, met with me, and he took hold of me, and he made me his own, and he turned my steps around, and I went in a new direction, the right direction, a forward direction, and I've been running because he's been helping me run and running with me ever since. That's how we run. That's how we live. I want to make just one further application at this point that I feel needs to be said. Are you a Christian tonight? And if you are, let me just tell you where you are in this race. You're on the track, brother or sister. You're on the track. You're in the race. You're not standing on the sidelines wondering whether to join the race. You're not sitting in the stands wondering about whether to put on the right kit and limber up and exercise and begin training. No, you are enrolled in this race. You are competing in this race. Christian brother, Christian sister, you are Christ's athlete. However long, however short a time you have been a Christian, you are in this race now, and so am I. Keep running. Keep running forwards. Don't say, I'd better start running for the first time in my life. If you are a believer, you are on that track. Run forwards. Keep going. And I come to a final, fairly brief point. Don't look back. Forwards, yes, keep on going. Upwards, upwards. Bring it on. Bring it on. That's the, that's the sense in which Paul is writing here. I press on, verse 14, towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call. Looking up. Can't wait 
to go up, to receive my prize. You've all watched Olympic Games here in London in 2012, Rio 2016, other Olympic Games elsewhere. You know what happens, don't you, at the end of the Olympic Games, the end of the particular event, the final outcome, the gold, silver, and bronze medalists. And they stand on a podium to receive their medals while their national flags are hoisted up on flagpoles. But the gold medalists' country's flag is hoisted highest. And the gold medalist stands on the highest of the three podiums. And the gold medalist's national anthem is played as tears run down his or her cheeks. The upward call. Or maybe more visually, think of this. I didn't watch the whole of the FA Cup final last weekend. It was 4-0 to Man City when I turned it off. I could see which way it was going. But I guess at the end, the Man City players, they went up, did they? They went up the steps. They certainly used to in the old days. They go up and they go across and a certain dignified VIP gives them the trophy, the FA Cup, and they hold it aloft and they're elevated and they're high. They're in a place of prominence and exaltation as they receive the prize. What about you? You sometimes watch these finals and you can tell a team is 3-0, 4-0, 5-0, 6-0 up at the end. And there's a few minutes left. They're into injury time at the end of the second half and they're smiling and they're, they're full of exuberance and the adrenaline of joy is pumping through with them. They know they're about to receive the prize. They're going to go up to receive it. You can see the energy that's in their bodies. They're so thrilled with what they've done. And brothers and sisters... You and I are going to go up to receive the prize from Jesus Christ. When we finish the race, he will say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've run a good race. Let's run good races. Let's not be content to amble around and to take a detour and to say I've had enough and to turn round and to go backwards and to fall over and to go round in circles. Let's run the straight race by God's good grace. Where are we going? We're going to heaven. That's what it's saying here. What does heaven mean here? Well, we are going to be in the very presence of God and of Jesus Christ. He's going to crown us with an imperishable crown. We're running towards the finishing line. Oh, that we would run with speed, determination, concentration, as we see the goal, as we see the finishing line. Heaven, the upward call to see the face of Jesus to receive that welcome home and say, you've run the race, my child. The race was long. The race might have been short. The race might have been hard. The race might have had many, many challenges. You may have injured yourself as you run. You may have been exhausted, but you kept on going. You were revived by a friend who came along, perhaps. We're not running alone, are we, you see? We're running with one another. 
We're helping each other. But the Lord himself is helping us the most, isn't he? Have that goal before your eyes. Run the race. Face in the right direction. Run forwards that you may be received upwards at the end. Let me finish by just reading and briefly thinking about those amazing words at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses. Another wonderful race passage. Therefore, says that author to the Hebrews, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you're in a great stadium and you're running around the track and you've got a few laps left to go and you look around this 80,000-seater stadium and you hear the deafening cheers and you see around that stadium Abraham and Moses and Elijah and David and Samson and Samuel and the apostles and the prophets. And you see the great figures of Old Testament and New Testament and church history. And they've run the race before you. And you see the loved ones who are in Christ before you, who have gone to glory. And they're there watching you. And they're cheering you on. And you feel inspired as you're running round. Oh, have that picture in your mind's eye as you live the Christian life. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The athlete's got to be fit to run. He's got to be kitted out to run as well. Got to be wearing the right clothes and be in decent shape. What's stopping you running? What's tripping you up? What's slowing you down? What's stopping you running this race? What are those sins in your life that actually mean that your race is very feeble and very erratic and you're hardly moving at all. Pray as David prayed, search me, O Lord. Try me. See if there is any offensive way within me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in this race. O Lord, how am I being prevented from running the race that I should be running. And then he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is no 100-meter sprint. This is a marathon. This is taking a long time. Run with endurance. Run through the years of your life. Think about the years that lie ahead. You young people here, think about the years ahead of you. Think seriously. You're going to be adults soon. How are you going to run while you're young? All of us, we, we have years, many of us to go, many years, a few years. Run with endurance. Set out your path to run and to endure, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He ran before you ran. He marked out the course. He turned that track into a track that you can follow him around. And you can run in his footsteps. 
you can run by asking yourself the question, what did Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? How did Jesus run? How does Jesus tell me to run? How do I run in step with Jesus? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross. Despising the shame. And is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God where we will one day be called up. You know how it is? Some people receive royal summons to go to Buckingham Palace and they might receive some award from the Queen or from Prince Philip or Prince of Wales or someone like that. What a great honor that must be to have to go up to Buckingham Palace. A greater honor awaits every one of us, dear friends, if we're in Christ. to be gathered around the throne of God and of Jesus Christ, casting our crowns, our crowns before him, lost in wonder, love, and praise, received into the courts of Jesus Christ the King. What greater goal can there be for your life than that, and my life too, brothers and sisters? Let those who are mature think in this way, run in this way and live in this way knowing that our own strength is pitifully weak but in Jesus Christ we have all the strength we need call on him and he will hear and he will give you everything you need let's pray together again oh Lord our God we come so mindful, O oh Lord, if we were to look back that we have stumbled and fallen and failed, but we do not look back. O oh Lord, help us to set our eyes on the prize, the goal, the finishing line, that sense that one day our race will be over. And then we will go up. And Lord, we want to go up. Having run that race with our eyes set forwards and our lives ordered according to your plan and will with the weight of sin and the entanglements of sin thrown away from our bodies and our minds and our souls. Oh, Lord, give us, we pray, the grace we need to run with endurance. Help us think about our race and our life to meditate on these things day by day. Come and help us, Lord. Be in us and with us as we run the straight race by your good grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's uh, let's continue, let's conclude with our final hymn. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. Let's stand to sing.